Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Kent, where our mission is to inspire love, seek justice, and grow in community. This is a place where you can bring your whole self, your full identity, your questioning mind, your expansive heart. A special welcome to visitors and guests. Deuteronomy reminds us we drink from wells we did not dig. We have been warmed by fires we did not build. We light this chalice in thanksgiving for those who have passed their light on to us. Listen more often to things than to beings. Listen more often to things than to be. Tis the ancestor's breath when the fire's voice is heard. Tis the ancestor's breath in the voice of the water. Aush, aush. Those who have died have never, never left. The dead are not and they are in the rustling trees, they are in the groaning woods, they are in the crying grass, they are in the moaning rocks, the dead are not under the earth. So listen more often to things than to beings, listen more often to things than to bees, tis the ancestor's breath. In the fire's voice is heard, tis the ancestor's breath. In the voice of the water, aush, aush. Those who have died have never, never left. The dead have a pact with the living. They are in a woman's breast. They are in the wailing child. They are with us in our home. They are with us in the crowd. The dead have a pact with the living. So listen more often to things than to beings. Listen more often to things than to beings. Tis the ancestor's breath when the fire's voice is heard. Tis the ancestor's breath. In the voice of the water, Aush, 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 Aush. Michelle Richards writes, For most Americans, Memorial Day signifies the beginning of summer and is generally celebrated by picnics, barbecues, and outdoor parties. For those of us in Indiana, the weekend is dominated by the running of the Indy 500 race every year. However, for some Unitarian Universalist families, <coughs> Memorial Day can cause uncomfortable feelings. Does honoring the sacrifice of those in uniform also celebrate war? How can we remember the fallen and celebrate at the same time? And given the seemingly endless wars our country is currently engaged in, how do we reconcile our personal feelings about war yet support our troops and their families who are left behind? 
This Memorial Day, we can also remember that war is an evil that has plagued our world since time began and that people continue to die and sacrifice themselves in the cause of freedom all over the world. We can have our picnics and outdoor parties and watch the Indy race, all the while being thankful for the freedom we possess as Americans in this time and place. And we can do as the National Moment of Remembrance urges all of us to do. Pause wherever we are at 3 p.m. local time for one minute of silence. I resonate to this reading as for me, Memorial Day has always been associated with so many different and seemingly contradictory images. A serious holiday that involves visiting grave sites and honoring those who served in war, including those who died. Yet also a time for fun, cookouts with friends and parades with children receiving candy. A national holiday, yet curiously no universally shared ritual as we have for Thanksgiving or the 4th of July. For many, it is just a paid day off work and a welcome three-day weekend. This state of affairs leaves me with questions. What would a foreign visitor conclude about how our country feels about Memorial Day? What does it say about our national character, our views toward war and peace, our vision of responsibility and service to the nation. Would a foreign visitor understand why we even have this national holiday? How best can those who do not serve, who do not do the work of defending the country, honor and show gratitude toward those who have served and sacrificed? And as Unitarian Universalists, how can we best approach the holiday given our values that promote peace and harmony? Come, let us explore the many meanings of Memorial Day. We enter into this Memorial Day surrounded by such a crowd of witnesses. In addition to what we have just heard, we remember first of all the women and men who are currently serving in the armed forces and we pray for their safe return. We also acknowledge that there are women and men who will not return and we grieve their passing. We pause to honor their service and their sacrifice. But we also pause this hour to give thanks for all the women and men who have served in the nation's armed services. Those who have not served cannot fully imagine the experience of war, but we do know war's aftermath and the toll it can and has taken on the human heart. This holiday, this holy day, remembers and acknowledges loss and so do we remember all those whom we have loved and lost. We hold their names and their faces in our mind's eye. We recall the gifts they gave to us through the strength of their being, the depth of their love, the courage of their dying, and the fullness of their living. 
in the quiet of this hour, made sacred by our gathering together. Their names surround us and they live with us in blessed memory. As we remain together in silence for a bit, in tribute to all that they have meant to us, I invite you to speak aloud the names of those you are especially mindful of this Memorial Day weekend. Do not feel limited to those we've lost in military service, for we would remember all those who are gone. In the words of Kendall Gibbons, what death wants from us and what the dead deserve from us is that we should create lives of courage and character, lives profound and resonant and abundant, and that we should remember.
The young dead soldiers do not speak. Nevertheless, they are heard in the still houses. Who has not heard them? They have a silence that speaks for them at night and when the clock counts. They say, we were young, we have died, remember us. They say, we have done what we could, but until it is finished, no one can know what our lives gave. They say, we have given our lives, but in, oh, wait. Oh, sorry, mine is different. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) This is what we meant. They say, we have done what we could, but until it is finished, it is not done. They say, we have given our lives. I see. Our deaths are not ours. They are yours. They will mean what you make them. They say, whether our lives and our deaths were for peace and a new hope or for nothing, we cannot say. It is you who must say this. They say, we leave you our deaths. Give them their meaning. We We were were young, young, they they say. We We have have died. died. Remember us. Morning, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, My name is Noah Kearns. I grew up attending religious education in this church. Um, I'm the son of Catherine Kearns. On uh, the last Monday of each May, we observe Memorial Day, where we remember those that have sacrificed their life for our democracy, and we remember why that sacrifice was important. Many service members are motivated by a desire to form a more safe and stable world for the people they care about, Uh, and they're often committed to the American system and the will of the democratically elected government above their own personal beliefs. As Unitarians, these can be understood as not unlike our fifth and sixth principles. The sixth principle, the goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all. And the fifth principle, the use of democratic processes within a society at large. It's been my privilege to know many service members that I consider American heroes. Staff Sergeant Knute, uh, Second Lieutenant Lechnar, Second Lieutenant Grimm, Second Lieutenant uh, Frazier, to just name a couple. Um, and on Memorial Day, I like to think about the debt that we owe men like them uh, who have agreed to both undergo harm and unpleasantness and commit violence on our behalf. In closing, I'd like to quote uh, Richard Greener from his 1993 Washington Times column, people sleep peacefully in their beds at night only because rough men stand ready to do violence on their behalf. In my observance of Memorial Day, I like to think of the debts that we owe these rough men and what they've done for our country. Thank you. On November 19th, 1863, a cemetery was dedicated at the site of the major battlefield of the Civil War. The speaker at this ceremony was Reverend Edward Everett, the Unitarian minister and Massachusetts politician, one of the day's most famous orators. His speech that day lasted over two hours. I'd like to share with you that the speech that followed that epic 
I put to you that these words should have as much meaning today as they did when they were delivered. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those that here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here, they have con consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead, we take increased devotion for that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion. That we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain. That this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Wikipedia tells us, the first widely publicized Memorial Day type observance after the Civil War was in Charleston, South Carolina on May 1st, 1865. During the war, Union soldiers who were prisoners of war had been held at the Charleston race course. At least 257 Union prisoners died there and were hastily buried in unmarked graves. Together with teachers and missionaries, the black residents of Charleston organized a May Day ceremony in 1865, which was covered by the New York Tribune and other national papers. The freedmen cleaned up and landscaped the burial ground, building an enclosure and an arch labeled Martyrs of the Racecourse. Nearly 10,000 people, mostly freedmen, gathered on May 1st to commemorate the war dead. Involved were about 3,000 schoolchildren, mutual aid societies, union troops, black ministers, and white northern missionaries. Most brought flowers to lay on the burial field. Today, the site is used as Hampton Park. Years later, the celebration would come to be called the First Decoration Day. By my childhood, 
Memorial Day had had time to grow beyond its origins as Decoration Day. Or perhaps we have all taken advantage of the season to decorate all our dead. We would go to the cemetery in Worcester and plant geraniums mostly. I remember it was always, almost always geraniums around the Fry and Berry family plots there and tell family stories sometimes. In those days, the veterans in my family had either served long ago in the Civil War or were fortunate enough to be there planting geraniums with us. But we would gather together and still remember our dead, family, and fallen comrades. In the words Walt Whitman chose to conclude his great poem, The Song of Myself, I depart as heir. I bequeath myself to the dirt to grow from the grass I love. If you want me again, look for me under your boot soles. You will hardly know who I am or what I mean, but I shall be good health to you nonetheless and filter and fiber your blood. Failing to fetch me at first, keep encouraged. Missing me one place, search another. I stop somewhere waiting for you. It's an interesting path I have traveled. My conservationist family largely helped me make those, take those words rather literally at times as we dug and trimmed there in the cemetery. I come from a crop of farmers. Farmers are natural conservatives, conserving in the Eisenhower sense perhaps, or the Roosevelt sense, uh, saving, keeping that which is good, keeping it good, keeping it whole. Both sides of my family came from this sort of stock, whether it was a family farm or nursery or my grandparents served in the Isaac Walton League. And it's from there that their politics and their world view trickled down into my own even though perhaps they would not recognize the way it is turned today. This was a part of all of it, of remembrance. To conserve the past, you must remember it, good and bad. My father, of course, was a veteran of World War II. He flew over the Alps from a base in Italy to rain destruction on the German war machine and back again, day after day, often not at all certain that they would make it back to base again. He had some stories he was not particularly proud to tell, tales of destruction of factories and the cities around them, times when it wasn't certain in the dark and from that altitude whether they were bombing the enemy forces or our own. Years later, years later, he returned to Europe as a tourist, only with great reluctance and a bit of regret for what he had helped do to the countryside there. I think it helped him to see it rebuilt, even after all of that. 
But no one in my family disputes the value of that war, even when we remember the errors and atrocities that all wars spawn. Wars produce leaders, sometimes great ones, and General Eisenhower was greatly regarded in my family. And to this day, those that remain are mostly what I would call Eisenhower Republicans. Later on, my youngest brother came to fly Apache helicopters for the Army and trained other pilots as well. One doesn't make a career in the military without spending time overseas. Among other missions, he served a rather peaceful year in Korea and a year of a rather different sort altogether in Baghdad. I, of course, came of age as we were struggling to end the Vietnam War, a time when the virtues of war were never so clear and compelling as before. I entered Kent State University when the scars of May 4th, 1970 were so fresh and raw the administration couldn't figure out how to erase them, but they tried everything they could think of. That whole decade remained politically charged and I remember the scent of tear gas on the wind. I wouldn't say that I am a part of the Elizabeth Warren wing of the Democratic Party, rather that Bernie Sanders and I would probably caucus with them. You can imagine that there are some topics that we don't discuss much when my family gets together. Even if the values that I learned there became the core of my beliefs, I hold to this day. I merely interpret them from a somewhat different lens than they do. But I am still proud of my veterans. One of my brother's overseas postings was the peacekeeping mission in Bosnia, part of the forces that finally brought a peace of sorts to that region. I told him at the time then that I was genuinely proud of his service. I told him I considered his military service was a promise, not just a promise on his part, but a binding promise, a covenant, if you will, although I did not use that word. I told him he was promising to go wherever his country sends him, whatever the peril, whether he understands the reasons or not, because he is a citizen, and a soldier, and we asked him to go. And I told him that it is up to me, as another citizen of his country and mine, that I will do everything in my power to make sure that we send them to war for reasons that are worth his life and his companions. And that secondly, it is my responsibility to never forget. All those who serve, we must never forget who they were and what they did because they served for us. I don't think we've held up our end of the promise always. Sometimes we've shown that we haven't thought things through before we've sent our troops. Sometimes it's too easy to take the belligerent way, often easier perhaps for some because somebody else's children, somebody else's brothers and sisters are those called to serve. 
but they are all our children. And they are all our brothers and sisters. And I understand and recognize that some of you are likely to disagree with me on just which were some of our misguided missions. But that's not what we've come here to do today. I see it as our time to come together to be rededicated to our end of the bargain. The Unitarian minister Theodore Parker was a great orator. We may have him to thank for Lincoln's ringing phrase on democracy of the people, by all the people, for all the people. And it is his metaphor that was taken up famously by the Reverend Martin Luther King, Jr., a century later. We have seen that the arc of the moral universe is long, and bending that arc toward justice takes courage of many forms, sometimes armed struggle, sometimes other types. And we shall remember. On Memorial Day, I wish for you much barbecue, because that is one of the ways that we remember. One day there will be a land where the oil of gladness dissolves all mourning, where justice shall indeed roll down like waters and peace shall flow in an endless stream. Today's special collection will benefit Love Light Incorporated, a local outreach organization devoted to nourishing children. In the summertime, Love Light provides free nutritious lunches for low-income children at several locations in the city of Kent. Thank you for your generosity. I saw her from a distance as she walked up to the wall. In her hand she held some flowers as her tears began to fall. She took out some paper as to trace her memories. She looked up to heaven and the words she said were time. 
is from UU Minister Cynthia Kane, who serves as a chaplain in the Navy. There are reasons why military chaplains are non-combatants. It's not only a stipulation of the Geneva Convention. As Chaplain Eli Dekesian, a retired Navy captain, explains, a chaplain's hands using deadly weapons are not free to render sacramental ministry. He adds, one less combatant makes little difference in firepower, but makes a world of difference symbolically and actually in spiritual ministry. As for this peace-loving, conscientious-objecting, Geneva Convention, card-carrying, pacifist, Unitarian Universalist chaplain, I simply know no other way. The exhortation from the Christian scriptures to turn the other cheek is deeply ingrained in me. Plus, because I'm female, my father and brother never thought to teach me how to fight physically. Mahatma Gandhi's observation that an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind resonates with me, and I adhere to one of my mother's favorite sayings, bake brownies for your enemies. Whatever the reason, I am belligerently challenged. This became an issue when I had to undergo the Marines' martial arts training. Every Marine is required to earn a tan belt so as a chaplain then serving Marines, it was an empathic exercise. I wanted the experience so I could better understand the Marines' life and the arduous training they must endure. Plus, I'll do most anything for sermon material. Sergeant Brown was merciless, as a good warrior must be, and patient, as a good teacher must be. The other Marines overcame their parental-slash-societal admonitions to never hit a girl, not to mention the taboo against hitting a chaplain. And I? Well, there is only one word to describe waking up at O-Dark 30 and beginning the day with body-hardening exercises that I, never having participated in contact sports, was not familiar with. Ouch. I never in my life had made a fist prior to my martial arts training. During my initial go with the vertical elbow thrust, I was so focused on keeping one fist in front of my face for protection that my other fist, the one throwing the punch, missed the instructor and rocketed its way to the bridge of my nose. Yes, you read it right, I hit myself in the face. Humility and a sense of humor were my best weapons, I knew, but this proved it. Accidental slapstick was the kindest and most effective way for me to bring a beefy sergeant to his knee in tears. My troops like it that I have a God who laughs and loves and listens and journeys with them through the daily grind of life in and out of the trenches. Every day I find myself counseling a young man or woman to conscientiousness about issues at work, at home, in relationships with the military. My role as their chaplain is to walk with them through life's dark valleys. Yet after I fractured a rib in martial arts training, it was a bottle of 800 milligram Motrin that comforted me along with the knowledge that people like me are not the ones defending our great nation and its ideals through physical force. 
Despite my idealism and disastrous attempt to embody protection, I am grateful for folks like Sergeant Brown and the other Marines, soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Coasties who do and have. On this Memorial Day, I salute them. I salute them because they have made sacrifices to serve and feel a duty and feel it a duty and an honor to wear the uniform. I have ministered to those who struggle to find meaning in their duty, for they are our sons and daughters, trying to do what their conscience tells them is right. On this Memorial Day, may each of us, in our own way, honor those who serve and have served our nation by protecting and upholding the principles upon which it was founded. This is our most basic tenet to service in the military and as citizens of this beloved country. May each of us remember in our own small way to make a difference in the world. Lao Tzu says, peace, peace, peace. May there be peace in our hearts, in our homes, between neighbors, and among nations. May there be peace in our world. And may we always remember that any one of us can be a hero for peace. Reach deep inside and touch the strength within. Your courage and your love can change the world. <laughs>